0: Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. On today's show, we're going to discuss how to awaken your soul with our guest, Lynn Patner. Lynn is an author, social worker, Reiki practitioner, and certified hypnotherapist. In her newly released book, The Awakened Soul, she teaches readers how to step into their light, heal old wounds, and live from a place of personal empowerment. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lynn. I was hoping you could start us off by just telling listeners a little bit about your journey and how you came to write this book.
1: Thank you, Samantha. This journey started 36 or 37 years ago. You know, I'm a long time ago. Well, you know, basically, it started much longer. So I got married in 1965. And I think I would be referred to as a Stepford wife because in those days, in the old days, the husband brought in the money, the woman took care of the home, and we just did, we we had dinner on the table, everybody sat down, everybody was happy or not, or we didn't let know that it was happy or not. I mimicked the show Donna Reed. I felt Donna Reed was a great role model for me to follow. And what was wrong with this is that Donna Reed, for those who are really young or younger than I am for sure, Donna Reed was a sitcom character in the 50s. And everything, she was always dressed up, lipstick, pearls, her dress always was perfect. So I started doing that role. And then all of a sudden I took EST, which is Earhart seminar training. It was like awakened me to a new level. I wasn't quite sure what level it was, but it was a new level. And then as I went on, I had experiences with energy and I decided that I didn't, I didn't know a thing. I absolutely knew nothing, but what it was, was curious. I was very curious to see what was going on with this energy because I was feeling it. And I met this foreign doctor who sent energy from his chakra to my chakra. And I said, wow, this is pretty cool. Even though I had one eye open and one eye shut when he was performing this miracle until my guides yelled at me shut shut up and close your eyes. <laughs> I didn't know I had guides, you know. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't know I had a purpose in my life. I wonder if anyone on your your show ever says, who am I and why am I here? So what happened was I decided that I was going to follow this energy and see where it led me. And I kept following all of the energy and I worked as a social worker in children's family services for 10 years. And on my journey there, I had remarkable experiences. I didn't know it at the time, but I was being led. And I was following because I was curious. And each story in the book is what I learned. I learned that we are enough. I learned that um, we're here for a reason. I learned at the end of this journey, I learned all about wounds and how wounds stop us in our tracks from becoming who we really are. So I'm going to start at this point when I was teaching something called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Oh, great book. Yeah. It was a great book and it's a great, it's a great teaching vehicle. And I was learning about synchronicities and I was saying, wow, every single class I taught miracles were happening to them. When you have these kind of things happening, something in your brain says, what the heck is going on here? I, I had no idea. So I was sitting at CPS working on a a report. I get to do reports every six months on the children and the family. As I was sitting there, we did two things in in the book. One was a play date because most adults don't take time to play anymore. Uh, I may be 77 chronologically, but mentally I'm four and a half. (laughs) And um, (laughs) it's true. We did automatic writing. So every morning we would sit down and just do a brain drain which is if you've never done that before, it's great. You just write, write, write whatever comes to your mo- in mind and you don't look at it. You don't care if it's spelled right. You don't care anything about it. It's just called the brain brain. And I was doing that and I was writing this report when all of a sudden this is what came through. So I'm gonna read this to you because this really blew my socks off and I had no idea what it meant at the time. There are so many hurting people in the world all trying to tap their way out of a shell and emerge healthy. So many barriers. Look to do this work joyfully. Don't be your own worst friend. Remember you are doing the best you can with the tools you have. Allow this process to go on and get out of the way, especially if you're not serving yourself. And always remember you are not alone. There are many entities around who are assisting people in their growth toward the light. They may not be aware of it at first, but the moments of synchronicity are too numerous for the unfolding conscious mind to ignore. It is truly wonderful to observe all the positive growth through pain and the emergence of a new spiritual being that will shed light on people in their own way. One must experience the pain and anguish in order to see it as only a momentary stop off in life before they get onto the real work of living. There is a plan for everyone and everyone must take the journey alone. Wow. I did. I didn't have a clue what this meant. I was so impressed with what was said. Of course, I I, I brag a lot about different things. And what <laughs> I learn, I teach. So I was going around CPS saying, "Look at this! Look at this! Look at it. And the social workers were looking at me like this woman is really out of her frigging mind. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because at the end of this journey, it's not. It's never an end. But at this point after 36 years of being on this journey and seeing how I was led to everything, I just have to marvel at how this was orchestrated and be in total gratitude.
0: It is such a journey, isn't it? Because in the moment you do feel alone, but upon reflection, you realize you were led and guided each step of the way. Correct. And that can be really difficult in the moment to realize I do have help and assistance and choices You write a lot in your book about childhood wounds and you touched upon it a little bit early in your story. What is a childhood wound and how can listeners learn to recognize them and work to heal them?
1: That is such a great question. Thanks so much for asking me. I had been working with people that were wounded in Children's Protective Services for a long time and I never understood the magnitude of an early wound. So every single person born on this planet Every single person, I don't care who you are from the age of zero, because you can be wounded in the uterus too, because we hear what's going on in, 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 in vitro we hear. So that's why it's so important for young mothers to play music and to talk gently and read stories to their, to their belly, basically. But what happens is from one to eight, you get a, you get a wound and it's usually one that's unconscious. So the only way I can identify this wound is to share my story of how I got my wound. Because what I teach is what I've learned. And it's through story that I think people hear the most. So I was born to my parents who were quite a bit older, and they lived in an apartment building in 1944, just as the war was ending. There were no other children in the building, and I was the only kid. And guess what? I was precocious. I had curly hair. I talked to everybody. I I loved life. And I just flirted around everywhere and everybody did what I wanted. Um, they all played games with me. I got to watch TV and eat a sandwich. And I saw the Long Ranger on television. And oh my God, it was the best best young youth ever. And then what happened is my mom signed me up for nursery school. And it was, little, it was high park school for little children in Chicago. And when and my interview with, with Jack Canfield, he laughed because he knows the South side of Chicago. Also, I think he went to the University of Chicago and he had the same wound I had. So here's the wound. So I get to nursery school and I am so excited. I walk in and there is an easel with brushes, you know, to paint with. And there's these huge wood blocks, really big blocks. You could really make like an igloo out of them. And then I saw it. It was the dollhouse. My heart leaped out of my, sho- out of my shoulders, out of my chest, and I ran to this dollhouse, and there were bunk beds and cradles and a table with chairs and a high chair and a stove and a sink and dolls and clothes, and I said, oh my God, I've hit nirvana, and of course I was bossy, and I went in, and I took over the dollhouse, and nobody would play with me. What was my message? Something's wrong with me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any tools. So, that message at three years old, that I'm not good enough, kept on through my youth and through my stories. You'll see how this message from a three year old has influenced my life until I got it. And I didn't get it until the very end of this time that I got the importance of these wounds. I have a client who was left in her crib from six o'clock at night to nine o'clock in the morning. And the parents were so proud of her because she didn't cry, but they were sound sleepers. One of her biggest fears now is anytime she feels like she's imprisoned, she goes crazy. Now she was nonverbal. So she verbally could not identify how she feels. But that feeling of being in in the bed with the bars, you know, those crib bars, she felt imprisoned and she couldn't get out. And that scared her. And now she sees it in her lifetime. She can do something about it. You don't catch it all the time because it really is unconscious, but you do catch it.
0: Well, I think an easy way to identify them is through repetitive patterns, because it sounds to me like in your marriage in the
1: sixties, you were kind of recreating the dollhouse. I was creating the dollhouse and that's a great insight because that's exactly what I was doing. I was creating Donna Reed's Dollhouse. I wanted to be a perfect mom. I dressed up. I had lipstick on. I was as perfect as I possibly could be. And that was not who I am. I'm a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. And I was finally freed from my role because everybody born has a purpose in life. Everybody. Everybody's here for a reason. And some people are just tapped different ways. What if you have several childhood wounds? Oh God. Yes. People do have several, but there's always one. Like I'm not enough is a wound for me. Some, if I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, skinny enough, rich enough, bright enough. I'm not enough anywhere. So to give you an example, how it starts at an older age, I was going to meet with Jack Canfield for Chicken Soup for the Soul. I wanted to preview my book with him. Were you nervous? That's a big deal. It was a big deal. And I ended up in the hospital right before I had an anxiety attack. I had never had an anxiety attack. I was scared to death that I wasn't good enough. And that was recently. So you can see, even if you see your wounds and you talk about wounds, it's insidious. The minute you lose a sense of consciousness, your wound comes up. And that's why when I, when I and people can watch my podcast with him, it was so incredible. I was so at ease because I literally blew my case to God. I said, listen, You wanted me to write the book, I wrote the book. Now here, you take over and I'm not religious. So it is a matter of how this. How did I get there? How did I get there? I got there through watching people's wounds and knowing I could do nothing about it. So are you saying that a
0: way to recognize our deepest childhood wound is look at where we feel anxious and
1: fearful and panicky in our current day-to-day life? That's one way, but another way is just to look at your life. You know, how many people get divorced and then they marry a man similar? What's your wound? Are you not enough? Or nobody pays attention to you? Have you ever met a person who talks on and on and on the same for repeatedly? And you're like, oh my God, please stop. You've told me this story a hundred times. They're the people that were never listened to. So our wounds create our life. That's what I'm saying. And it doesn't matter who you are. Jack Canfield said his wound of not being enough made him an overachiever, somewhat an arrogant. That's what I found to be so fascinating about all of these wounds. So you can imagine these little kids that were physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. How about their wounds? And one out of four women are sexually abused. And that doesn't always mean penetration. It can mean flashing. It can mean inappropriate talk. They feel that they're the victim. They are the victim, but they didn't do anything wrong. And so they hold that. And if I'm a transformational life coach now, and what I see in individuals, and, and this is, this is how it is, is because of your early wounds, you will create your reality because your thoughts create your reality. That is absolutely true. And if your thoughts create your reality and you've been injured, you almost walk that way. So if we walked on the street, I could tell you not all the time, but I could tell you who the perpetrators are and who the victims are. And I know by what you tell me from your past, where your wounds are. If you come from a family with drug abuse and alcoholism, you have work to do because you've been injured. It's hard. Right. And everybody has at least one wound is what you're saying. Everybody has a wound and sometimes they become sociopathic with their wounds.
0: Right. Because if wounds aren't healed, they just keep acting
1: out. When wounds are unconscious, your thoughts are going to create the reality. And so even if you don't know you're doing it, like I had three great friends and I never felt enough. I felt they were prettier than me, smarter than me. That's how wounds come out. So it's not like you're consciously thinking, you're just responding to the wound that is buried deep inside of you. Most people don't know what their wound is, but when I talk about wounds, they get it. And then they start saying, wow, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't feel like I'm enough. Maybe I I feel like no one listens to me. Maybe I am all alone. I'm not worthy of love. If you've come from an abusive home where no one loved you, which happens, how do you feel in the world? You find someone who's going to show you you're not worthy of love. Until you get your power and know that you're here for a reason, you're here to be a light person, you're here to make this planet something bigger than it is now. It's like being a a candle in a dark room, you're the candle, and you have to find out what's holding you back from being lit up, so that you can offset the negativity and the anger on our planet at this time.
2: You and I have a very similar background professionally, as far as I taught special ed and worked with a lot of children in the system for many, many, many years. And one of the things that I realized was my own childhood wounds or younger self or whatever trauma that I carried gave me a level of empathy, compassion, and understanding that allowed me to work with those children and those families. But Mm -hmm. I think a big lesson in all of it, you nailed it a minute ago, Lynn, was when you said, everybody comes with a purpose. Everyone comes with their own light to shine. But I think right now with what's going on in the world, so many of us are facing those trauma, but we're breaking those cyclical patterns that may have been handed down generation after generation. Right. And and I think that as we step more fully into this, but that's big work in itself is saying, I don't have to be who I was programmed to become. Correct.
1: Because that's absolutely true. And the reason this book is out there is because I am showing you how I learned, how I tripped, fell flat on my face, got up again and kept going. And every lesson I learned was to make me feel, to finally get it. Lynn, get this, you are here for a reason. Oh, really? Oh, okay, To find out I had a guide with me. Find out that there's no such thing as death. I mean, I am in awe of my journey, but I wasn't at the time. I think so many people think their purpose has to do with
0: their career. And that's something I'm passionate about is telling people it's not about what you do for a living, but about who you are for a living, you know, like, like who you are every day, when you are kind to someone, when you're kind to yourself, when you are effecting change, when you are working on yourself. And I think a lot of people, especially those of us who uh, feel maybe more wounded or, or tend to align with that victim ideology, tend to think that it's selfish to work on themselves.
1: And I, I think it's sacred to work on ourselves. Somebody has told them it's, it's, it's not good to work on yourself. Someone has, has told them, or their mind has told them, people who are in survival mode, looking for a place to live, going to eat, trying to find food, warmth, they cannot, at this moment get to an enlightened state of being because their concentration is all on taking care of themselves. Some of course can look at what Buddha did. Look at, you know, there's that, but people of, that are okay. Listening to your show, I am sure can reflect. Why am I here? Who am I? Why was I born? I never, ever asked those questions. I didn't even know what spirituality meant. But it's now time for people like me and for you and for Deepak Chopra and Carolyn Meese and everyone to start talking to people to tell them how special they are and how incredible they are and that leaving judgment behind. Because what I have found out is all I'm here for is compassion and kindness and love and gratitude.
0: What are some other strategies for healing that wound?
1: Knowing it's there is the healing. I'm not a person who gives you you know, a tool for that. Your tool for that is, let's take a look and see what the wound is. Let's see how your wound has influenced your life. Once you become conscious, you have that wound. And it's the consciousness of the wound. You can have it, it when it comes up, because it will. It does not stop. You can look at it and say, oh, you're here again. I'm past you now. But there isn't any other way that I know of. It's about recognizing what the wound is and how you recognize your wound is through your life's journey. As you read and you see, huh, am, was I, am I carrying that wound? I'm not good enough. Am I carrying the wound? I don't count. Am I carrying the wound? I'm alone and not lovable. Well, let's see how it showed up in my life. And now we need to take a look at that and maybe we need to get some help on that. So recognizing having
0: awareness, being consciously aware of how it's affecting and repeating and showing up in your life right now and in the past is the main key. That's for me is the main key. Yeah, I agree with that. You write in your book, the journey goes by faster and easier if we let go of our perceived control over the outcome and allow our guides to assist us. Can you share with listeners
1: some suggestions you have for working with their guides and what that's looked like in your life? So, I believe number one was about letting it go, allowing the universe or whatever you call it to take over and, and, and take your journey and let it bloom. That was part of what, the question. I didn't know I had a guide until I was taking a therapy. I was in therapy with a non traditional therapist, and she told me I had a guide. And I wrote to my guide. And all I did was sit down one day with a blank piece of paper and say, dear guide, who are you? And the guide wrote back in automatic writing, just like it did in my, what I started with, you know, I've been waiting a long time for you to show up, sit down, something like that. My guide's very playful. His name is Aaron. I gave him a name, but I'm a controlled person. I've always been in control. I'm a, a terribly controlled person. And when I learned that my control was not gonna work that's when I learned how to allow and let go. And do you want to hear the story of that one? Because yes, that'd be great. You, everybody has a guide, but you get it different ways. You have in, intuition. You may have fairies. You may, you have someone with you all the time. You're born with a babysitter and the babysitter is your guide. There's so many, your ancestors who you may be named after who is deceased may be one of your guides. So you're protected all the time, but you have to sit down and say, I'm ready to learn. We live in a free will place and we need to be able to say, what do you want to tell me? What do I want to do? And then pay attention because once you ask for assistance, honey, bunny, you get it. And then you have to really pay attention because it's fun. It's a great ride. If you know what's happening, letting go was the hardest thing I ever had to do. When I first started working at Children's Protective Services, I thought I would be killed on my job. If you have a thought that you're going to be killed on the job, then what happens is that can happen. So I didn't know that your thoughts created your reality. And I ended up sitting next to a woman on the plane who was a pediatrician, and she was going to, we're going to Arizona at the time. And she basically told me that I needed, it was was a very synchronistic meeting and I needed To go to Sedona. And in Sedona, I didn't know what I was supposed to get or anything, but I ended up with a psychic who told me, no, I would not be killed on the job. And that was that. My last case at Children's Protective Services, I had four children who were living in a studio apartment with a father who was a security guard that had a gun, a mother who's extremely mentally ill. The place where they lived, the studio was absolutely filthy with cockroaches. There were four children, three girls and a boy. They had all been born in the house. And what happened was it was summertime, and I knew that I would not have the connection of their teachers or therapists anymore. So I could have left them in their home. I could have done that. It, I, I can't even tell you how disgusting this place and how their parents were, were terrible with these kids. And the children were all ostracized, Denise. No one wanted to play with them. They smelled like urine. So I'm driving home one night, and I said, um, I could leave them, or I could... I have to take them. My integrity wouldn't let me not take them. So I literally held out my hand. I was playing. I'm always playing. And I said, okay, God, here's your case. And I blew it to God. For some reason, I had faith. Now I'm telling you, I was not born religious. Faith is not something that I've ever had before. I had total faith. And when I got home, there was a feather in the car. There was a feather in the passenger seat. And I walked in the house and a Native American friend of mine was had called me when the minute I got in and I told her what I had done. And she said, God's telling you to lighten up. <laughs> it was very funny. So I went to work the next day and I told my supervisor, who probably could have had me thrown out of CPS, I'm working with God on a case. I'm going to pull these four kids. Can I use the police department? And she said, call and see. And so I did. So I got the police department because they were going to, and of course I embellished the case. So they probably had their guns drawn when they went in. I don't think so, but I'm an embellisher. So I like to make things a little more dramatic. And um, I sent out the family care worker. She got four backpacks. Everything was with clothes and toys and underwear. So the kids were ready. The police went to the house. They had no problem picking up the kids the kids came to the police department, and I, of course, was the devil. The parents had told them I was the worst thing they'd ever met in their entire life and to keep away from Lynn. She was bad. What happened next was absolutely the miracle. We went to McDonald's for lunch, and then I drove to where they Oh, no, the miracle was here. Oh, I forgot. I'm so sorry. We have a shelter home. You have to bring your kids into shelter, so there's, you need a place for four kids to go. You can't even get a place for two kids to go it's impossible. They never put in siblings together. That's a rarity. So when I called and asked for a home, that will take four. The man on the other end laughed at me and said, you are no way is this going to happen. I said, Eddie, just call me when it's done. That's faith. And he did an hour later, I could barely maintain my excitement. And as we got to the street where this house was in Hayward, there were kids on it. There were dogs. There were bushes, there were trees, there was a white picket fence around the house they were going to. There were three little beds. It sounds like the, it sounds like the three bear story, three little beds, all matching comforters in the girl's room and the same for the little boy. There were toys, there was a dog. It was like, OMG, I can hardly maintain myself. That was the first time I ever experienced not managing a case and watching the divine or the universe or whatever you think it is, do it. And it just blew me out of the water. And even when I wrote this book with the anxiety attack I was having, I said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing this anymore. If you want me to write the book, if you want me to get this message out, I'm getting the message out. I will do what you told me to do, but I cannot be involved. I I have no control over this. So whatever happens, happens. And that's how I meet you all. I don't know how this happened. It just happened. So thank you. And I'll be quiet now. <laughs> that's a fantastic
0: story. You know, I just got an email this week from an elementary school teacher. And she has this little student who she just sees a lot of potential in. And she says she's just a little ball of sunshine. And her mom, the single mom and her two siblings, they are suddenly homeless. And so the teacher is paying for a hotel right now while they wait for space to open up in a shelter, which as you know, might not happen. And so she was asking like, as an empath, how do you carry that? You know, how do you carry the weight of that, that worry and pain for another family? And, and I think your story is very helpful for that because
1: sometimes we do just have to surrender it. You always have to surrender it. That's what I learned because you can't, you have no control over it.
0: But I think I'm, I'm going to email her back and tell her, you know, just give this to your higher power, give this to God. I think that's mm-hmm. a really important lesson.
2: Well, Lynn, it's also, yes, I agree with you about identifying that wound and releasing it and finding a way. And again, as empaths, and from the story you were telling, it brought up some memories for me of, of children that I've worked with in families. And it's it stays with you, doesn't it? It just you can't mm-hmm. just Absolutely. put it on the side of the road and say I'm done with it. Once you identify that wound, I mean, do you suggest therapy or alternative methods or because I think so many of us are, I don't really like the term waking up, but we're coming more to terms with what are our, our trauma, our wounds, our old things that we've been carrying way too long. What do you suggest for people to start to? Truly face that and release it?
1: I think that, you know, a lot of individuals need therapists, but they have to interview the therapist because they want to work with a therapist who understands about these wounds and and not just say you can get over them. It's like a snake shedding its outer layer. You want to be able to be in a safe place and shed that outer layer of trauma and drama, especially if you've been abused you definitely need to go to a good therapist. I took a course on satanic ritualistic sexual abuse just so I would have the knowledge. And I don't know why I was called to do that, but I was. And I had two cases where I, not at CPS, these are outside people I met in different venues. One was interviewing from a group I was leading and another one I met as a social worker in Florida. And their therapists couldn't believe that what happened to them happened to them. So when I say, Make sure you you go to a therapist that understands. Some of us can just get through it when we see it. But if you've really been wounded in your life, you didn't do it. You are not at fault. You've got to go back for that little girl, that little boy and help them heal and tell them you will never let that happen to them again. Wow. I feel like that's a double wound if the therapist doesn't believe you. Well, it is a double wound. Well, a double wound is when the mother doesn't believe the child has been sexually abused. That's worse than having the abuse. Yeah. I agree with that. So, yes. I mean, life happens, but we all have karma and we all have a story and we all have to learn our lesson. Even if we perceive it to not to be a great lesson, it's still a lesson. And unless we get it, it keeps repeating. Like for me, it repeated through my whole life.
0: Well, you know, you call your book, The Awakened Soul. I have found going through a spiritual awakening, it's its the most joyous time of your life, but it's also a very lonely time because you do have that square peg, round hole feeling. Do you have any suggestions for people going through an awakening now to find their tribe, to find their people?
1: Yes. Read my book. My book is my book known and I'm not doing it for the money because all the money I make from this book is going for college uh, tuitions for underprivileged kids. That's not why. I'm sharing a journey I have had and how it all worked out. Talking to a 6-month old baby, hearing my hearing my husband and calling in people to take him. I I'm leading stories to support people's journeys and from that point they will once they open up to say I need help, I want to do this too. I want to become who I'm supposed to be. They will be assisted. This is a beginning book. This is not an end with all book. This is a tip off the diving board book. The rest of the journey is your dive, swan dive into the water. Can you share one of your favorite stories from the book? So my husband was extremely sick. He was extremely sick. He had diabetes. He had heart failure. He, you name it, he had it. And he was in my home and he had it. He had a stroke in 2011 And pain was never a problem for Michael. Michael was a person who believed you learned through pain. And if you have that kind of mindset, guess what, kids? Anyway, it was toward the end of his life. And I had hospice. And I was really upset with going on. So I went to bed that night and I said a prayer. I said, Mom, you loved Michael. Michael loved you. And I said, okay, Evelyn and Alfred, you can come too. Even though I'm not crazy about my in-laws because they weren't the nicest people in the world, I invited them too. I said, come get Michael. He needs your help. Get him now. The next morning I walked downstairs and the caretaker from Michael said to me, I saw you down here last night talking to Michael. I said, I didn't come down last night. And she said, do you have a white nightgown with rosebuds on it? And I said, no, I sleep in in a shirt. And she said, and I said, was it a long nightgown or a short nightgown? She said, long. I said, it was long sleeves or short sleeves. She said, long sleeves. I said, it was my mother-in-law because my mother wore a short nightgown. My mother-in-law always wore nightgowns that covered her neck to her, her, her legs, you know, all the way down. So she said, well, I asked, she said, Lynn, is that you? And, and the woman or whoever it was didn't answer me. And then I said it again. And then she went upstairs. So she must've come up to tell me how much she hated me still. <laughs> Anyhow, Michael died that, ne- that day. He died. They came and him, got him. And when he died, he was, his face was so much at peace. He was not in his body. So here's what happens afterwards. Three months later, my daughter-in-law also passes away from triple negative breast cancer. She was very sick for a long time. And she didn't believe in, that there was a God. She believed God abandoned her. And even though I worked with her and she was Catholic and bringing in Mary and Jesus and telling her that they were all with her and they would always be with her. She just didn't, didn't. So one of my friends gave me a session with a woman and this woman only wanted a picture of Michael and a picture of Maria. And when I called her, I didn't know what to expect. You know, it was a gift and she was telling me Maria was there first and she was telling me, Tell her, tell her, tell Yaya. And that was the name she had given me as the grandmother. Tell Yaya, there's really a God. There's really a God. It doesn't look anything like I thought it would look, but there's really a God. And my husband chimes in and says, Tell her her woo woo stuff is good to continue. That is amazing.
0: <laughs> so I love that. When we have that confirmation and validation,
1: it's just beautiful. Yeah. And the fact that she used my name, I knew the woman wasn't. You know, no one would know that. Sometimes you have these things with people, and they give you BS. But it was, it was really. It's a, it's great story. I have a lot of great stories. I love every story I have taught me something new. I had to learn how to become the silent witness. I chatted with a six-month-old baby who told me she wanted to go home. Wow, that was the reason she was born was to love her parents. So I'm telling you everything about my trips. I'm extremely vulnerable in this book and I love I that I did it because I'm supposed to assist others. I'm a midwife of your soul's awakening. That is my job. That's a, that should be the title of your next book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to write a next book. <laughs> well, tell listeners how they can find you and get your book. Well, my book is on Amazon and it's called The Awakened Soul discovering the light within a memoir. And I have a webpage. It's Lynn Patner, L-Y-N-N-P-A-T-N-E-R.com. Dot Perfect. All right. Thank
0: you so much, Lynn. This has been really interesting and enlightening. We appreciate you taking this time with
1: us. I've had a wonderful time. Thank you, Samantha and Denise. I love talking to you guys. Thank you so much for asking me.
0: It's been a pleasure, Lynn.
1: Thank you. We will post links to get her book and check out her website
0: as well. Once again, we've been chatting with Lynn Patner, who has just written The Awakened Soul. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.